This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. What a week, guys. Mm. The Cathedrale de Notre Dame burned. Changing the landscape of Paris. Mm-hmm. Scientists reported that they were able to cheat death in pigs, changing how we think about death. And the special prosecutor's report came out changing the minds of no one. <laughs> changing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but for us here at the Carver College of Medicine, it's been business as usual as we enjoy medical education at its finest. I'm here with MD, PhD student Aline Sanduk. Hello. And third year student. Isaac Schwantes. Hey, guys. And girls. And fourth year student uh, Rob Humble may be joining us at some point. I hope he does because as an M4, he's a living embodiment of the fact that medical education works, messy though it may be. But if you listen closely, you might hear another voice. And no, it's not Robert Mueller screaming into the void. It's, the, it's me. It's the host of the podcast, Brown Girl White Coat, Baylor University student, Sai Joshi. Welcome, Sai. Yes. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, I want to hear about your show. Tell me what it is that you're doing with uh, uh, Brown Girl White Coat. Yeah. So I started the podcast back in December over winter break when I was considerably less busy, I would say. Um, and it kind of came from a place of already doing what I talk about on the podcast. I was already coaching people, helping with college essays, the whole application process. And so I decided to turn it into a podcast. Oh, I didn't realize that. So, so you've been, so this is kind of an extension of your efforts to, to help, um, undergrads, um, do their thing or get into, get into undergrad. Yeah. So I, was in a BSMD program at Baylor. And once I got into that, you know, I became pretty relevant in my community back home. (laughs) And, um, and everyone was kind of asking how I got in, how can I help their kids get in? And it was just this whole process. Um, you know, the Indian community is very big in the United States, but it's so small because everyone, has everyone else's numbers. So I was getting mm-hmm. cold texts mm-hmm. just from like Indian moms <laughs> asking me, like, how can I get my kid into med school? And so next thing you know, I was texting people I didn't even know. I was reading people's college essays and I decided to turn it into something where I can direct a large amount of people to go, you know, look at my podcast, hear these things that I'm talking about over there. I, I love answering questions. So the whole mentorship, um, possibility was really appealing to me. I wish Aditi was here and in a way because she's uh, Aditi Patel is uh, one of our co-hosts and, and she's yeah. uh, Indian. And, Just from that uh, name, I can understand that she knows what I'm going through. <laughs> and I'm it, sure you know her already. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You guys probably go to lunch together. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, their, their moms do. Oh, certainly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, their moms probably. know each other, I'm sure. Yes. Right, Sai. Yeah. Um, but she talks, she talks about, um, one of the things that I, I got to kick about, kick out of, um, from her background is apparently the, the phenomenon of, of a dating resume. Is that, oh my is that gosh. Some... Yes. It's called biodata actually. It's called biodata. <laughs> I remember what? her calling it that. Yeah. Like a bio sheet tell, or biodata. Tell yeah. Isaac what, what you're, what this is. <laughs> so. I actually have friends who are you know, like reaching that early age. Early versions of eHarmony, or like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's Go like ahead. a resume, maybe some okay. pictures. <laughs> what do you put on this resume? Like, these oh, are my interests. Education. These are my like my professional achievements. Is it like I, a job or keep, keep going? I, I would say it's like um, I don't know, maybe like some highlights, like what I've done, professional achievements, degrees probably a most important thing. Um, <laughs> and I'm allowed to say this cause I'm Indian, of course. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, it sounds very efficient, if I'm being totally honest. Right? Just being full upfront disclosure. Here's everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Will. Yeah. And who who's going to have your best interests at heart except your parents, right? Like the you're the most discriminating people in your life are going to be your parents. So you know that they're going to pick a good, you know, maybe not someone you like right off the bat, but like they seem like a good gatekeepers. So I yeah, I I think this it's a nice system. Oh, Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's more of an arranged dating type of situation now. Yeah. So so I think people if if you're really looking, I think you would appreciate it. <laughs> we we only just met. Uh, but has it worked out for you? <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm actually dating someone. <laughs> oh, okay. No. <laughs> not not from not, not from, from the bio data. Not from anyway. bio data. Okay. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. So your your the title of your podcast. Getting back to the ranch. The title of your podcast um, sort of indicates a focus on diversity. Yes. Um, so I wanted to create the space where. It's empowering. It's inspiring for not only women, because that's where the brown girl part comes through, um, but also for for Indian people. It's something that I think people underestimate themselves. They want to do it. They want to help people. They have all of these great reasons for wanting to go into a healthcare field. And they think it's too hard or they think it's too much education. They think they won't be able to pursue hobbies and other interests. And so I kind of wanted to create this space where I can talk about all the things I'm interested in, which is a lot outside of medicine and show them that, Hey, if I can do it, you can probably do it too. Mm. <laughs> That's what, cool. are, what are your interests outside of medicine? Yeah. So the main one is, um, I'm a singer, so I do have a YouTube channel where I post covers occasionally. Get out. Um, Yes. Tell us about so, it immediately. Yeah. It's just my name. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm about to. So, uh, I'm about to look that up. Keep up. We've already okay. found it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Pretty pretty easy to find. Yeah. Is that something yeah. you've always been into, or just got into recently? Yeah, I've, I've just been doing it since honestly, since I could talk, and then my parents kind of cultivated that, put me in lessons right away, and I I just loved it. So I actually tried out for The Voice a couple of years ago. No and kidding. ended up not making it on TV, but I did make it into a couple rounds of that show. That's so. awesome. I'm, I'm hoping this will work. I have found a video. Um, oh, my God. So we'll just play a lot. <laughs> well, oh, like my gosh. <laughs> yeah, if you well, had to pick one that we then one put on the air. Here. We'll see. On, on, oh, on our... it, would, it would be Skyscraper. That's the it highest is. production value. <laughs> it is, in fact. It's, this is the one that was randomly chosen for me by uh, by my little server here. Hang on just a second. <laughs> here we go. Skies are crying. I am watching. Catching teardrops in my hands. Only silence as it's ending. Like we never had a chance. Do you have to... Make me feel like wow. Okay, so I'm not going to continue playing it because I might cry. But, <laughs> but uh, it's beautiful. Good job. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you guys. Yeah. Go Do you play the piano yeah. too? Or Oh no, I wish. That's definitely oh. an instrumental. <laughs> okay. Very cool. It's like, wow. Um, okay. Well, see, but now yeah. I'm glad we I'm glad we had you on because uh, I was just thinking of you as a podcaster, but uh, and a medical student. But you you've got more things. Yeah, I yeah. So my study breaks are me like trying to keep up with my vocal exercises mm. or coming up with ideas for the pod. And then so I I love medicine. It's what I want to do with my career. But I have so many hobbies outside of it that it's really about time management. And I, I talk about that a lot on my podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I like people that come in knowing that they love medicine is great but like i i don't think i really like fully understood like i want to do this and this is what i actually want to do till like my second or third year and i'm on clin like clinics and you're like oh my god this is what i'm passionate about or hmm. mm -hmm. yeah I, I've, I've heard that story before um and i you know part of me is is like it's pretty uh it's pretty gutsy of you to make a leap to do this thing that you're not sure that you want to do uh, and that's going to cost you so goddamn much money <laughs> to, to give it a try. And then, and there's another part of me that's like, you're, you're crazy. 
If not, you can just reinvent yourself. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I think one one criticism I hear a lot about medical training is the the absence of being able to merge our training with other interests. Um, It seems like a lot of programs focus on, you know, training students exclusively to be care providers. But, you know, we're not encouraged so much to go into like medical narrative writing or public health or social work, things like that. Yeah. So it's really encouraging to hear you, Sai, kind of blending all your different interests into, you know, your own unique approach to helping others in all these different ways. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think it's really important to have some sort of like stress relief, something that you just enjoy doing and you do it because you enjoy it versus, you know, you're getting money for it or you're turning it into a career. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so part of uh, what I do, Sai, in the writing and humanities program, I think of as distracting students from their (laughs) medical studies. (laughs) Um, You know, whether that means, you know, having a lunch hour art class or, you know, which basically is just watching YouTube and then doing what they do on YouTube. Um, The Bob Ross tutorial. Yeah. (laughs) Or, um, or, you know, uh, having this podcast, um, things, things like that, where basically I'm like, look, stop it for a little while. (laughs) I love how Dave is treating the introduction of joy as a distraction. (laughs) Well, I mean, you guys, sometimes it's kind of like that. (laughs) I don't have time to have fun. I have so much work to do. I've got an exam. (laughs) No, we're always looking for any reason to be distracted. So (laughs) no kidding. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's true. Maybe, maybe y'all don't need me. You know, you can, you can always Netflix, you know, but Oh, that's not at all what I was saying. I, I <laughs> yeah, saying not a, about you here, Dave. I'm a little hurt. <laughs> I think you need to change your PR approach. Oh, yeah. You shouldn't call this a distraction. You should call it, you know, a a welcome Respite. interruption of uh, stress and anxiety. Oh, okay. An yes. interruption. Wellness. There we go. Wellness. It's a wellness initiative. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, I found a. Uh, a recent Z Dog MD um, video, <laughs> and I wanted to hear what you guys thought about it. Now, this is not one of the funny ones. Um, he is very funny, but this is actually a serious one. Um, the quote is about uh, burnout really being an effect of constant exposure to moral injury, and it's one of the things that mm-hmm. um, that I think about a lot when I do my work here. What's up, everybody? It's Doctor Z. Okay, listen, I'm really, really, really tired of people calling it burnout. What over 50% of healthcare professionals are experiencing, they call it burnout. It's exhaustion, low productivity, and a feeling of deep cynicism. And it's so prevalent that everyone, in it, even in administration, is starting to panic. Like, what's going on? Why are physicians and nurses and PAs, why are they burning out? Well, burnout is a kind of victim shaming. It's saying you're not resourceful enough, you're not resilient enough, you're not strong enough to adapt to a system. So maybe you should meditate. Maybe you should use some lavender essential oil. Maybe we could have a wellness retreat or hire a chief wellness officer. Listen, it's all bull Here's what's really going on. We're not suffering from burnout. We're suffering from something that Wendy Dean and Simon Talbot call moral injury. People have a set of moral values They care about other human beings. And then they're forced to either become a part of or bear witness to things that are so against everything they believe that they fall apart. Humans are moral, idealistic creatures that resonate love for other humans. And what happens when our moral ideals meet the real world where we cannot give our patients the care we know that we could give if we had the tools and the resources and the autonomy to do it. So, yeah, I mean, that was very insightful. That really struck me as, and and it's something that I've been thinking about lately. Um, You know, we, we, uh, we're talking about a staff meeting um, in the context of, you know, the, the, our, our medical student counseling center sort of did this presentation on what they do. Um, uh, for students and for student health and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I kind of spoke up in that meeting and said, you know, we talk a lot about what's, what students can do 
to, uh, you know, to, to avoid burnout, but we don't talk about, you know, nobody, nobody really talks much about what the system is doing to cause it. Yeah. You're, mm. you're pruning the leaves as opposed to ripping out the root. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Sai? Well, I think, I mean, I have a different perspective because I haven't started clinicals yet or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, please. <laughs> but um, so everything I've heard about seeing patients and all of that is from my sister, who's a resident, oh. and from her friends um, and other residents I've spoken to. And I think, I think the main problem that they would highlight is more so it's not what they're seeing. It's not the patients they're treating or that somehow the seeing the like the human condition worsen that's not really one of their concerns it's just the fact that they don't have enough residents to do the amount of work that there is and so they're constantly checking up on their patients they're always on the floor they're never you know they're not getting the the time to grab lunch or use the restroom or do basic things mm. and it makes you feel less human at the end of the day yeah and i think that's what he's talking about you know like Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to have these, you want to have the time to do, you know, the things that you think need to be done, but you're just not, you're just not given that time. Yeah. Right. It sounds like, um, compassion is at the root of what we do and there's just not the logistical allowance to be as compassionate as we want to be to our patients and also ourselves mm -hmm. in principle. Yeah. Um, I wanted to add something in response to, um, so Rob just arrived. Hello, Rob. Say hi. Hey there. I'm Hello. Late. Rob, Sai, Sai, Rob. Hey, Sai. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. That's a, a problem I see, not just in medicine, but just in life in general, where acting in a way that's not in accordance with your values can be so grating, but on such like a minor level that you really don't realize how much it's affecting you until you get to that last straw. For for your med school, for University of Iowa, what kind of wellness initiatives do they take? And do you feel that they are helpful? So um, among the things that they do are, uh, you know, they have this, so, so at, the, at the super basic level, I think, is part of the curriculum involves something called the wellness passport. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of students take it the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> I think the intent is to that I've seen is to um, uh, suggest to students ways that in the future they can um, use that they can suggest activities to their patients or or ways of coping with life that will enhance yeah. their patients wellness. And the way that this is done is to you know, give students a sort of a checklist of possible things that they can do themselves to sort of experience new and interesting ways to, um, to, well. to enhance wellness. <laughs> um, students yeah. often are confused by it. It's very effective that they gave us this additional homework I, that's, to yeah. be well. Okay, that's yeah. relatable. I mean, that's that's like, you know, I, I, I you know, the, the, I, I know that sitting in meetings and things like that, where they've been like, I think students are missing the point <laughs> um, and that we're not doing a good, actually what they usually say is, I think we're not doing a good job of explaining um, what this is. If uh, wellness were covered on uh, the USMLE exam, students would feel differently. I think that's, yeah. I, I think that's also the key. Like it's, I mean, we've talked about this already. Like it's, it's hard to, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to set aside like, Oh God, I got to study. I got to study for this. I mean, the problem is that what we do here is inherently unwell. Like, <laughs> yes. if you took anyone from any other profession and they told you, like, yeah, I get up at 3.30 in the morning and then I study until 7, at which point I stare out the window to see if the sun exploded because I'm hoping that it did so that I don't have to keep studying. <laughs> and then uh, I have just enough time to bathe myself and brush my teeth before I ride my bike to go to school to be in class. Like, if anyone else described a schedule like that to me, I'd be like, you need to change your job. You're, you're going to die there. Like, that's not healthy at yeah. all. So instead of actually changing the way that they train us, they're just like tacking on an additional thing that we have to do that is contradictory to the goal. Right. Like in principle, right. what they should do is like maybe lighten our load. Like maybe instead of adding a thing to do, maybe like take one lecture out a week and then give us that hour 
to dedicate to wellness. Uh, so I shouldn't have started with the wellness passport. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of chips on our shoulder about this passport. Perhaps I should have started with the, med- the excellent medical student counseling center that we have uh, yes. integrated into the uh, into the um, actual uh, group of people that handle student affairs and curriculum. Um, so they're very closely uh is sort of linked together so that um, they know what's going on in their, in the students' lives and uh, they're prepared to sort of respond, um, say, to the exam that didn't go so well, um, things like that. So that's something that uh, that we have, that, a resource that, that you guys have. What else? Um, one, one more point about the... The Writing and Humanities program. Yes. Mm-hmm. Excellent mm-hmm. program. So the, Sorry. the Medical Student Counseling Center. So I've been involved with the graduate and professional student government for a couple of years. And uh, we had a, a member who was very excited. And they were, they were talking about this new thing that one of the colleges was trying. And they have an embedded counselor that's there. Like a ha- like one person, half-time, full-time equivalent. Ah, and That's amazing. And they're like, it's really great. And it needs to be scaled up. And then I informed them that. We've yeah, that for a number of years. We already freaking do that. Mm-hmm. And that it had other Yeah, well, you know, we have a really similar thing here where we get, um, you know, counseling sessions for free here or in the Houston community. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue with that is that students aren't taking taking the school up on that oh. because maybe we don't know how bad the issues are within ourselves. <laughs> mm. Like we don't, we don't have the capacity to identify burnout yeah. in ourselves. And so we don't seek out that help. Well, there's also the issue of, of stigma, isn't there? I mean, you, you know, uh, and I think our, our, our leadership is kind of aware of that because um, they kind of do, <laughs> I know the counseling, one of the things that the counseling center does to counter this is offer a, metric ton of cookies <laughs> to attract <laughs> people in there and popcorn so that you know if you happen to go in there it doesn't look like you're going in for me- <laughs> for some <laughs> sort of mental help which is stupid of course i mean not that the effort is stupid but it's stupid that you have to you know worry about you know stigma um right. so fiendish yeah the office is right there so you know everyone can see you walking in right and yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I don't know if your uh, counseling center doesn't do that. It works pretty well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll suggest it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was something we talked about, I think, in the MSTP um, about whether or not we should you know, move the move, either introduce a second counseling center or move the counseling center off site so that, you know, it was a little more anonymous when you use those services. Um, and there was a big there were two schools of thought of like, yes, that would anonymize us and <laughs> it would conceal the fact that we're. Um, seeking counseling, but isn't that part of the problem? Like, shouldn't right. we normalize it? And also, if you move it farther away, that creates an additional obstacle to actually That's seeking out, issue. you know, those resources. Yeah. So something yeah. that exactly. I've be- I've become aware of just over the last couple months. So, like, we, we one of the things like within student government that we that we have just done is added a, a dedicated wellness chairperson to kind of coordinate the other like wellness things that go on within the communities so that we can be strategic and kind of all move in the same direction. And one, one of the things that happened to come up that I was not aware of, so I did undergrad here. And so there's university counseling services literally across the street. And I did not realize that we can still, we, that we as students, even though we have our medical student counseling center, if we wanted to go see somebody across the street, we can, because we pay, the, we pay the fees for yeah, it already. If, you, if you're so and concerned to not be aware of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think the challenge that a lot of medical schools um, also face that are uh, sort of different from ours, maybe, is that the medical school can be somewhat distanced from the hospital side mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they may not be, I don't know how it is at Baylor, um, if the if the two are more closely integrated, but often, you know, you might even have to go to another another site um to um you know to to do your rotations and stuff like that they may have a completely different viewpoint on wellness that the medical school just can't control we are we are located in the texas med center so we do have a lot of hospitals to rotate Mm. around um something we don't have is an undergrad campus near us though so i know i know you guys have that big plus over there (laughs) uh you know it's nice 
we yeah. have so like there's something that has come up in the last few years that I know has remained popular is uh student led yoga sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, that, those have been like once a week, I, I believe, yeah, over the noon hour or something like that. Uh, th- uh, so the ones that I'm thinking of are in the they're in the like early evening, like five or six oh. or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've never I've yeah. never been. Come on, Rob, you gotta get some yoga <laughs> in before you, before you graduate. Speaking of which, uh, Robert, you're going to graduate soon. Yes. You're about to become a... Four weeks from today. You're about to become a pathologist. Or one in training. Well, (laughs) one in training. You can call call yourself a pathologist, right? As soon as you graduate? I'm going to hold off. (laughs) If you say that, there's responsibilities that come along with that title. If you say you're a resident, then like... Oh, so it's so it's about limiting qualifies. his exposure to right. It's a question of a, it's a liability thing. You're like I'm not the last stop on this train. There's still other people I can go to for this. I see. What do you what are you what are you feeling as you hurl towards uh, graduation? Um, Speak into your microphone, please. Hurling. Um, yeah. So in the hurling, I feel a lot of wind. No. Um, <laughs> no. I, 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 so a couple of weeks ago, I, I helped out with our second look day for the uh, incoming M1s. Yes. Or, yes. People that are still trying to figure out if they want to be an M1 here, and I, I mean, I always really enjoy that day because people are really excited. They they want to start medical school, but I got done with the day, and I'm like, I am so glad that I am moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, I, I've enjoyed my time here, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm ready for that next step. I I feel like a lot of us get to that that point where yeah, we've. You've worked hard. We've done all our required stuff, and we've checked all the boxes. And I mean, at the end of the day, like we we want to figure out how to do our job, whatever that's going to be. So yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for that point. And I, and you've also found the thing you're like passionate about, right? Like yeah, for me, yeah. certain rotations, just like gosh, I really don't want to do this mm-hmm. again, and I'm okay not doing this again. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's great to do it for that six weeks, that four weeks, and that's my time being X, Y, or Z. But I really want to do surgery or I want to do whatever. So you finally get to like divulge into the depths of whatever field you want to go into. Yeah. Yeah. So like before I started medical school, I was working in a path lab and I really liked it. I had really found my groove like on a couple of projects that I really enjoyed. And well, I mean, I was very excited to get into medical school and had wanted to do that for a very long time. I was like, oh, man, I really got to put all this stuff on hold. Mm. And so in some ways, I'm like, I can finally go back to, to I, can, I can go back to my place. <laughs> oh, so you always knew you wanted to do path then. Um, so uh, I got a job in the path lab kind of by accident. It was like the only only job that I got offered and interviewed for. <laughs> and I, so I had no idea that I wanted to do path. But I actually I found that I loved it once I was there and it it stuck. Yeah. Former co-host uh, um, Amy Young. Mm. Who Aline stopped by Denver to visit mm. yeah. uh, this past week. Past weekend. Past yep. weekend. I was in Denver oh, nice. to visit a couple of friends and she um, was an MSTP grad, I think, last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. And she's also a pathologist. Mm-hmm. Super happy with her choice. So, you know, if you're concerned about that. Second lowest rate of burnout among all specialties. There you go. What's the lowest? Wow. Term. Term. Sure. Uh, skin. <laughs> <laughs> pimple poppers. Oh. Um, they do more than pop pimples, but you know, I, I understand. Every <laughs> inter-service rivalry, I like that. <laughs> um, well, let's take a break for just a second to uh, talk about this. Isaac, I don't know about you, but I like to cover up my torso with the finest fabrics available. Oh. Yes. For example, uh, I enjoy fine graphic t-shirt find that useful to be covering up my upper half. People who are looking at me find it also very useful. Um, <laughs> do you know that we actually sell t-shirts, Isaac? I don't. I didn't know that. Oh, look right there. Right there in front of you. Here's one of them now. What do you think, Isaac? <laughs> They're sweet. They even got the headphones on and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how's that fabric feel? Soft. Ah. How's the design? What do you think of that design there? Brings him back to Dr. Pismeni and anatomy. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going for. Uh, Isaac, the reason you'll, you uh, will want one of these t-shirts and our listeners will want to buy one is that not only are they soft and well-appointed, but also 
we give all of that money to uh, charity. Our charity of the semester is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. All the proceeds from t-shirt sales and any sponsorships we get this spring will go to them to aid in their mission to end the stigma of mental illness. Here's how you get yours. Step one, go to the shortcode.com slash store. Step two, spend 15 measly dollars. Step three, wear your SCP t-shirt knowing that you have contributed something uh, towards the fight against mental illness. We need everybody to step up and buy a t-shirt now, so head over to the shortcode.com slash store to get yours. Thank you for supporting our charitable efforts. End of break. That's uh, so awesome. Yeah, I love that. We're giving it, we're, we're, we're trying to do some, some good in this world rather <laughs> than just yammering into this microphone, which... I've seen the t-shirts also, and I love them, and I'm probably going to buy one now. <laughs> well... 50, we'll take your fifteen dollars and we'll give it to <laughs> we'll give it to none. Robin's egg blue, awesome. yeah, and charcoal. Heather, Heather blue and Heather black. Oh, Heathered. But, Why are they uh, both Heather? I don't know. That's weird. You'd have to ask the. Why not people. a Ashley? You'd Why have, not a Caitlin? <laughs> you'd have to ask <laughs> the fine people who who made those fabrics. Uh, a couple of things from the news that caught my eye this week. Uh, uh, Sai, I hope you'll help us uh, parse them. Um, as I touched on at the top of the show, scientists at Yale have found a way to partially restart the brains of pigs hours after they were slaughtered, causing ethicists everywhere to drop their lattes. Um, <laughs> the I don't know why I picked lattes. I just thought it'd be funny for patho for for ethicists. It to is be the most elitist them. sounding drink. So yeah. yeah, a latte. The, the group described in the Nature article uh, a machine they invented called a. Beck's perfusion system, which they hooked up to pig brains circulatory systems four hours after death. Um, they then observed those brains and tracked things like vascular function, uh, neuronal viability, glial structure, inflammatory responses, and metabolism. And they found that the system could restart and maintain a superficial version of brain function that to my stupid eye resembles life up to 10 hours post-mortem. Um, they didn't actually find any EEG waveforms that would indicate a functional uh, consciousness or anything like that. In fact, they uh, had they found that, they would have stopped the experiment over ethical concerns. Um, but it does seem to me, and I guess to others, to call into question the idea that once a brain has been deprived of oxygen for just a few minutes, the game is over. Mm -hmm. um, did you know that there was an ethicist on that study? Oh, I'm sure there was. He did not, he or she did not drop their latte. <laughs> he did more he or she did more than not draw he did not do they did not do their job no, no, you don't think so <laughs> hey are you okay with this yeah sure whatever whatever yeah, i'm gonna go back to playing tetris now <laughs> <laughs> so had you guys not heard um guys and me and Sai, all of us have had you not heard <laughs> of uh the experiment that some russian scientists did in the yeah, 40s keeping a dog a dog's brain yeah a, a Decapitated dog. I've never heard of this. Yeah, there. If you, it's amazing. It's like Google can read my mind. I typed in uh, Russian dog experiment. It was. It brought up exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Demikov, I think, is the name of the scientist Vladimir Demikov. Anyway, this has been done, but I don't know what the difference is between that study and this study. That's the only thing. So, so as I understand it. Uh, the difference is that, um, the animals were, were, uh, slaughtered as pigs are for food. Um, they, uh, kept the brains for four hours without doing anything. Um, and then after four hours, they started this, uh, special, um, hootus called the Beck's perfusion device. And then they, you know, they examined them for, um, for signs of basically normal cellular function. Um, and they, and they found those. They also of course did controls with other kinds of perfusion systems. Um, and, uh, you know, of course they found that this perfusion system was superior and that it maintained or it restarted these processes. Um, I, their intention was not to, you know, sort of Frankenstein these brains back into functional, um, uh, consciousness, but, um, to sort of explore this edge of life, um, issue, I guess. Hmm. Um, so I think the difference, I, I think the Russian experiment that you mentioned in my 
distant memory did not involve things like you know an IRB an IRB yes yeah. <laughs> I think uh, they like controls vessels and things like that up to maintain like circulation like immediately yeah. as yeah, as like the a, as a surgical procedure was, type thing yeah, mm. was decapitated. Yeah, I looked up the Russian scientist dog experiment. Don't do it. Don't look it up. It's horrifying. (laughs) This study, though, um, I glanced at it yesterday. um, And these it's kind of interesting right i'm interested in transplant so yeah um it, it's oh, yeah. similar to like when we take an organ out of someone when we take a liver out of someone you have an is- ischemic time or the time it doesn't have any blood flow and it's the same thing with these brains um basically they loaded these brains up with a whole bunch of anti-convulsants which drop your eeg levels so mm-hmm. it, um so they can measure some kind of electrical activity and they basically flooded them with all these different types of um, excitatory neurotransmitters. And they found that not all of the neurons were dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. It says uh, the, the quote from the study, in the absence of longer perfusion studies, it is still unclear whether the technology we describe is capable of restoring global EEG activity in the isolated brain. However, the inclusion of various antagonists in the Beck's perfusate might exert an overall inhibitory tone within the brain, further dampening global network activity. So I think they were... Yeah. sort of, uh, you know, trying to head off that particular ethical problem, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. um, I don't know, super interesting. It really sort of blurs, continues the blurring of that line between uh, life and death. And it's going to be something that I mean, people f- are going to grapple with. Yeah, <laughs> the fundamental question is just because we can, should we? Right. And it's not clear, you know, what is the utility of of these approaches well i mean but also look at for instance um you know somebody's in an accident and they were deprived of their brains were deprived of oxygen for you know five minutes yeah or whatever the threshold might be is it possible that we've been wrong um that it's impossible to come back from that I mean, for transplants, when we do cardiac death cases, um, for people that are still like their brainstem is still alive and their heart functions and stuff like that, um, we only need two minutes. So if this were to turn into something Mm -hmm. like in 150 years Mm -hmm. or whatnot, I don't know how long it'll take, but, um, you know, that have some big implications there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And to what extent do you have to do something maybe unethical to get those results in the future? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess is the question here. The March of Science goes on. Was this segment <laughs> brought to us by Stephen King's Pet Cemetery playing in theaters now? <laughs> <laughs> Not a sponsor. But, you know, Steve, you want to be tweet Steve. at us, Stephen, Stephen King. Call us. Call. us. Please. Buy a shirt. Yes. <laughs> Buy, a shirt. Buy a couple. I think you can afford it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. This week... The feds charged 60 people, including doctors, pharmacists, and other health professionals with opioid offenses and healthcare fraud. More than half of those people were doctors. Yeah, that's very serious. It is. The Department of Justice created the Appalachian Regional Prescription Opioid Strike Force last fall due to that region's uh, relatively high number of opioid overdoses and deaths. Some of the people charged were writing 100 prescriptions a day and doing other things that attracted attention. Um, Officials are working with the CDC, the Department of Health and Human Services, local health officials to ensure continuity of care for patients whose providers have been forced to close. Um, and if you live in the Western District of Virginia, buckle up, buttercup, because that's the next area the task force will be expanding into. I like that name, Strike Force. Sounds like a like a tactical group or something like that. I, I, well, you know. Sounds yeah. like a cartoon. It's a subdivision of the Space Force. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing in response to such a serious subject. You can re- you can funny. laugh at his joke though. That's very yes. funny. The opioid crisis is a crisis and should be tweeted with tweet treated. Sorry, goodness. with the <laughs> utmost seriousness. Yes, but if we can't laugh, what are we doing here? That's so true. Right. Yeah, that's very right. true. Your internet rage is not welcome here. <laughs> so there was a really nice uh, episode of the Daily. I think uh, about a month ago oh, or yeah. so. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the okay. podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I listen to it every day. It's the second one that I listen to. Um, first thing, it's like my version of like those '90s movies where like the parents are standing in the kitchen making breakfast and there's a TV on and it's like the news. Oh yeah, yeah. That's my 
TV in the kitchen. Um, and they were talking about the Sackler family. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm. yeah, and their role, I think, in like essentially marketing and then pushing the sale of these drugs. And uh, now that it's coming out more and more, there's a lot of organizations and people that are protesting, uh, you know, any any organization or institution that's been patronized by them. So like the Sackler Gallery, um, the Guggenheim, I think in New York, like mm-hmm. all these different organizations, just because it's coming out just how intimately involved the family was in the business of selling these drugs. And it wasn't, it's not like they were at the top and benefiting and had no idea what was going on. It was really the message coming from the top all the way down to the bottom to the sales reps of like, you need to push this harder, faster, more. You need to get more people pushing these. I mean, it's unreal. And they made a lot of money. And now we're seeing, you know, the cost in terms of lives of their effort. Yeah, the I think their CEO is Richard Sackler. He's an MD that went to Columbia, I think. Didn't go to residency, but um, uh, disclaimer: this is from like John. I like John Oliver, and he did. Mm-hmm. I watched a show, but oh, anyway, yeah, one yeah, of the things yeah. that they. Had I don't know why him. you insist that accuracy is important to the uh, Show Code uh, podcast. You know, <laughs> disclaimer: we are rarely accurate. Well, also, just because but John just, Oliver is funny doesn't mean he's not an authoritative source. And that too, um, but yeah, so. Very much so that they're pushing these opioids on people like you need to increase your we identified these groups of physicians that you need to go to and um, increase the work with of, them to yeah. increase their prescriptions. Exactly. Blah, 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 blah. Put the pressure it's on. very integrated to the family. Yeah. Wow. So how do we think the task force is, I guess, isolating these physicians? Like, how do they how does one go about finding out who's actually doing it? Oh God, I think they, so there was a lot of just very conventional, um, police work, um, Mm. lots of interviews, um, looking at, um, the paperwork. Um, I mean, there was nothing sexy about this in terms of how it was executed. Um, it was, I think if, I I don't know if it was on an episode of the daily or not, but they talked, there was a interview with, um, somebody who works with the, was it the, the Southern District of West Virginia? Is that the name of the Western? Well, I don't know. Whatever, whatever jurisdiction. But there was somebody who uh, was going undercover, and like they talked about his multiple disguises and how. I mean, like they used prescription patterns to target things, but then they were also using these under undercover folks to identify dealers and then yeah. figuring out where the dealer sources are. So it seems like a lot of like, this was a huge relatively conventional pl- yeah. police work. This was a huge investigation involved a gr- huge number of people in several States. Um, lots of really basic, you know, kind of footwork tactics approach. and yeah, exactly. Mm. When you said, uh, yeah, I was going to say what you're talking about, um, the disguises. I was like, the, what's there a Groucho Marx? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I uh, please uh, ignore the fact that I look like the gentleman who just yes. came in with the top hat. Uh, I'm a totally different person. I need a prescription. For, I can't remember what it's called. It starts with a D. <laughs> you know, I was actually just talking to a friend of mine um, about uh, it's a group of friends and someone's going in for a wisdom teeth surgery. Mm. And we were all sharing our own stories about wisdom teeth removal. And one one friend. Uh, described getting a like a like a three month prescription of narcotics oh for a oh surgery. Yeah, and like they like way overdid it. They were like, here, have more, have plenty, take more. And she was like, I need maybe one or two. Like she didn't have that much pain, but yeah. they were just sh- like putting these drugs in her hands. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. how you get people hooked is give them this beautiful drug that you know makes the world all fuzzy and warm. Oh, but for years, I mean, you know, there was this idea in medicine. I think that pain is bad. The fifth vitamin. Pain should be, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pain should be absolutely yeah. avoided. There was some reporting last year about like the origins of pain as the fifth vital mm-hmm. sign. And, um, oh, I don't know if it was Kaiser Health News or who. Yeah. Or th- who did that reporting? I think they were talking about that on a, a podcast I was listening to recently where pain went from being a symptom to kind of a, a, a condition in and of itself, a pathology mm-hmm. yeah, you have yeah. to treat and how we're so ill-equipped to address it. Because the idea is that pain is the result of some other pathology. And if you treat that pathology, you'll remove the pain. But then you have people showing up with pain of an inexplicable origin. Mm-hmm. We don't know what to do with that. Yeah, and you can't really measure pain, so you can't, you know, cross-reference and... Yeah, not not well. Indeed. I mean, one person's pain is different from another person's. It's one of those... Right. It's one of those things that uh, is hard to quantify between people. Um, 
So right. <laughs> other than that chart of smiley faces, it yeah. goes from a Ugh. happy smiley to a sad smiley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which I'm one today? <laughs> which one looks the most like you, yeah. sir, madam, <laughs> or patient? <person. laughs> oh, well, okay. HIV is a terrible virus, guys. But researchers have used it to cure severe combined immunodeficiency or bubble boy disease in 10 babies born with a condition, according to uh, science. Can't remember where, what the source was. I'm sorry, I didn't write it down. Mm -hmm. I'll put it in the show notes at theshortcode.com. Um, but the virus was altered to eliminate its disease-causing properties, and it was then used to insert that gene in, in, that the babies all boys lacked. Uh, all the babies are home, living normal lives, according to one of the study authors from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis. All appear to have normal immune function. Uh, to date, the most effective treatment for uh, severe combined immunodeficiency is a bone marrow transplant, but the treatment can also kill patients like the 12-year-old boy whose case in the 70s gave bubble boy disease its name. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. Do you, have any of you ever watched Grey's Anatomy at length? No. But, uh, uh, I watched uh, it until like the fourth season. Okay, but there, there's straight up an episode where Miranda Bailey is doing research and she's trying to cure a boy with skid yeah um and yeah. it's trying to reverse engineer an hiv virus so i'm glad that this has come to fruition it'll be interesting to see how it wow. plays out because they did it in the 80s too there they had successful recombination events where they treated skid with really? gene, gene therapy but a third of the patients end up getting uh leukemia or some kind of um blood cancer afterwards interesting so, so maybe their maybe their targets were a bit off and maybe it just i don't think we have enough time yet to see how yeah, they'll yeah. long term but it's great that they they're cured right yeah i mean let's be clear these these babies uh generally almost all of them uh die within the first year um and right. uh so you know i guess i guess it's part of science taking a chance but interesting hey uh we've got a, would you mind helping us sigh for a minute we've got a listener question yes got a listener question from jesse who like every other imperfect person is worried about his path forward. Let's hear from Jesse. I recently stumbled on the Short Coat podcast. I'm excited to dive into the episodes during my commute. I have a question you may have insight on. I'm a non-traditional student who graduated with a degree in graphic design almost three years ago. My first year of school went very poorly. I was also on the Division II football team. I ended with a 3.2 GPA. Since then, I spent two years working in a hospital while taking pre-med courses. I have gotten an A in all the prerequisites and AB Psych, Stats, and Calculus, aside from OCHEM 2 and Physics 2 which I have yet to take. How much of a concern is my previous GPA even though my prerequisites are all A's? Should I look into post-bac certificate programs? Any advice? I really appreciate your time and the education you're providing for the Doctors of Tomorrow. You are most welcome, Jesse. What do you think, Sai? Well, I'd be interested in knowing what his GPA is now. It sounds like he worked really hard um, to get those A's and those prereq courses, and that probably considerably brought up his GPA. Um, and so I think, you know, there is an emphasis on the GPA, but a 3.2 is really not that bad. Uh, kind of depends where you want to go. You should do some research and see what the incoming class GPA tends to be. Um, and then, yeah. you know, pick, pick and choose where you want to apply based on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, it sounds like he's really working hard. And if his GPA has come up a little bit from then, I don't think that should be his main concern. He should keep focusing on, you know, working at the hospital, getting those clinical experiences. I think that's the main, the main thing that med schools are, you know, wanting to see. Sounds like you all, it almost sounds like you advise people on how to successfully <laughs> get into, into med school. <laughs> yes, I do have a, a, some experience. You know, uh, we always say on this show that uh, you're good. <laughs> you know, none of these things, none of the, I have, I don't think we've ever gotten a, a listener question where we were like, yeah, you're dead. Yeah, like your no chance. Yeah. You're dead in the water, dude. There's nothing you can do. Barring any yeah. like, big felony convictions we don't know about, you're probably pretty good. Just, you know, your upward trajectory is probably the most important thing. Yeah. Um, right. 
And, you know, that first semester, uh, that's, that you, uh, that you screwed up on, meh, whatever. And your experience afterwards, um, after school in, in the hospital, working in the hospital and, and all that kind of stuff is going to count for, for a lot. So Jesse, I think you might be okay. Yeah. Just hang in there. Yeah. Like keep doing what you're doing. You, you can do it. Honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a bad situation at all. <laughs> yep. You're good. All right. Well, I got to end this uh, pony show today. Dog and pony show pony pony. <laughs> I don't forget it. <laughs> we got to end the show. We've been hanging out with Sai Joshi, the host of Brown girl, white coat podcast. You can find her show on iTunes, Google play, Spotify. I'm sure elsewhere. Thank you for stopping by today. Sai. And we'll be on her show. Yes, of course. Yeah, and we'll be on your show. Uh, yes. Coming up. I don't know when that will be, but hey, you know, I'll take what I can get. It should be coming out this Sunday. Oh, so, wow. The Sunday evening. Wow. Quick turnover there. <laughs> and uh, thank you, uh, uh, Rob, Isaac, Aline. Great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> That was the worst. Wait, why? You're supposed to say, you're supposed to be enthusiastic, dude. He's unhappy that we're done. Oh, well, we're not, because we're going to continue uh, talking. Oh. Um, uh, on on uh, SciShow. So, anyway, uh, and what kind of idiot would I be if I didn't thank you listeners for making us a part of your week, for all your questions, and for your supportive t-shirt orders. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, we're in all the places. We love answering listener questions, so send your questions or whatever you like to the shortcuts at gmail.com or reach out on social media or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. Oh, and one more thing. Right now, while your podcast app is open, give us some more stars and a positive review that makes us feel good to hear that you're happy with our work. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, Student Government, and Ongoing Support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. 